Today's reading is taken from the book of John, from chapter 1 to 14. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, it can be found on page 750. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a series entitled Waiting, and we looked at Zechariah waiting in silence. We looked at um, Mary waiting in worship. We looked at the shepherds who were waiting uh, as outsiders, those who were outcast from society. And today, um, I want to look at a, a message entitled Waiting for Father Christmas. Now, um, most of us, when we think of that phrase, waiting for Father Christmas, we picture children waiting for Father Christmas if you live in the UK or Santa Claus if you live in the United States and many other parts of the world to come and bring presents early on Sunday morning. Well, my message really has nothing to do with that, but I will give you a little bit of the background of where that idea comes from. Um, and the, the title Father Christmas or Santa Claus is based upon uh, a man from the 3rd and 4th century, Nicholas, who was a bishop who lived um, in uh, Mira, which is uh, today in modern-day Turkey. He was a very rich man because his parents died when he was young and left him lots and lots of money. But he also was a very kind man, and there are lots of different legends about Nicholas we don't really know what ones are true, what ones aren't true. It's certainly changed over the years here in the Czech Republic. Um, St. Nicholas Day or Mikomash 
doesn't seem to look anything like what you see in the legends. It's taken on a whole life of its own, although it is celebrated on the day that he was martyred for his faith. So that does have some significance to it. The most famous legend of, of Nicholas was um, a story about uh, how we got the tradition of putting stockings on the fireplace for gifts. Because Nicol, uh, Nicholas, who was a very generous and kind man, had a friend who had three daughters and who was very poor and had no money for their dowries, which in that day, in that culture there in Turkey, meant that none of his daughters would ever get married. And so what Nicholas did, according to the legend, was um, on one night, he got some gold and he dropped it down the chimney. But the, one, the oldest daughter happened to be drying her socks over the fireplace. They were hanging there and the gold fell in the sock. And the next morning when she went to go put on the socks, there was gold. The next night, he did the same thing for the second daughter. And after that, the, um, the father decided to wait up all night to see if it would happen one more time for his third daughter. And it did. And he caught Nicholas. And that became... The, the form of the legend, both for the stockings and that unforeseen gifts were given by St. Nick. Now you know everything you never wanted to know about St. Nicholas. All right. But when I'm talking about waiting for Father Christmas, I have something very, very different in mind. Because there was a waiting that was done by God to reveal himself that is incredibly beautiful. My favorite version of the Christmas story is the one that Eunice read for us from John. It's a picture of the Christmas story from God's perspective looking towards us. But to maybe set it into the nativity scene, I want you to to imagine, if you would, for just a moment before we begin to examine the text, imagine Mary and Joseph that are are there they, they've, they've had the visit of the shepherds and crazy things are going. They had the, the traveling. They could find no place to stay. And so they're, they're staying in what was likely a cave. And um, uh, it was, would have been a time when Mary, after giving birth, would have been absolutely exhausted. And as, as I can imagine, as a father, I can imagine Joseph, after Mary had, had finally fallen asleep, Joseph holding the infant child, holding Jesus, and doing what fathers do when you're looking into the face of the child, you're you're tracing your finger and you're caressing his cheeks and and you're, you're asking those questions, you're trying to determine who he looks like. And maybe as he's looking into the face of Jesus, he sees a glimpse of of Mary's eyes in Jesus. But of course, Jesus would not have looked like Joseph. He wasn't his child. He was his stepchild. And I think as he's looking into the face of Jesus, there would have been one question that would have resonated in his heart more than any other, and it was simply this, I wonder what your father looks like. Isn't that the question we ask as well? What does God the Father truly look like. Jesus came to earth at Bethlehem. He came and he lived a perfect life 
to show us what the Father is like. Jesus came and offered himself as a sacrifice for you and I in order for us to know the Father. The Apostle John, when he's writing the Gospel of John, uses the the term Father 96 times. And again, 51 times, he uses a personal pronoun, him, his, you, or yours, speaking of the Father another 51 times. And he uses the term God 23 times, all specifically talking of the person of the Godhead, the Father. Altogether, it's over 170 times that he, he mentions it because he realizes this is the message that Jesus wanted us to come away with, perhaps more than any other, to show us the Father. So what does the Father look like? Prior to his birth at Bethlehem, most people could only imagine what God was like in a very two-dimensional perspective. Many saw God as a person of rules and demands. He is holy, and many would see God as a God of wrath. As they look closer, they should not only see a God who is holy, but also a God of love. The Old Testament tells us hundreds of times his love endures forever. And that love is always pointing towards you and I. But somehow that truth oftentimes seems reserved for someone else. Many see the Bible and and they look at it and they see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But instead of seeing a God who is personally interested in them, They see a God who is distant, who is far away. Now, you should understand that information is not the same as intimacy. When information is all that we have, the image in our minds can be distorted. By the time of the first century, the religious leaders had intricately studied the information revealed in God's word, but literally could not see who God truly was. They had gotten so caught up in rules and regulations that they missed the Father. And it's easy for you and I to do the same. When you look at the Bible, what we need to understand, first of all, is that a great deal of the information that is there is biography. It's telling the story of a person, the person of God. He wants us to know him and not just know about him, but to have an intimate relationship with him. And so since just giving information wasn't enough, God took the huge step of sending his son to step into human flesh and give us a three-dimensional picture, an interactive relational picture of what God himself is like. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. You see, Joseph, when he was looking into the face of Jesus and perhaps asked that question, I wonder what your father looks like, was asking exactly the right question that you and I should ask. And we should gaze into the face, the person, the work, the love, the grace, the truth of Jesus Christ, 
and come away in awe of who God the Father is because he has chosen to reveal himself in the Son. The reason that I love the passage in John chapter 1 so much is because it shows us from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, the reason why he came to earth. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. God wants you to know him. Maybe this Christmas season... Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've been overwhelmed with busyness. Maybe you know, we, this time of year, tr- travel is such a big thing. That's why most of our congregation is somewhere else in Europe or who knows where on the planet. Lots of travel, lots of activity, lots of time together. And it's easy in the midst of the busyness to miss out on the greatest beauty that God stepped closer so that we could know who he is. The reason God the Son stepped into humanity was to show you and me, to show us the Father. In the Father's grace and wisdom, God has blessed us with intellects and senses that long to see and to hear and to know Him. At the same time, God has allowed our imaginations both liberty and limitation. God cautioned us never to make a graven image, but He has made Himself known. He wants you to know him. Jesus came to explain the Father in terms that we could actually understand. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. Philip said, as it's recorded in John, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 14, 9. In Jesus, we see God's love, his compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, his faithfulness, as well as his power, his wisdom and life and the, pers- the personification of truth and holiness. Jesus came to represent the nature of God in such a way that we could understand and more fully embrace him as our heavenly father. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that cool? This is why we should be so interested in God and interested in his word. My challenge for you as we approach a new year, I mean, maybe you're making um, decisions and resolutions and things you want to do differently. There, there's one thing that you can do that will make the greatest difference in your life for all of eternity. And that is to immerse yourself in God's word to learn to love his word, to choose to be in it, to meditate on it, to think about it day after day after day. 
because you'll see God revealing more of who he is to you. And he has done that mostly through his son. So here's here's, um, some points. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father, and there's some things that we need to connect with. First of all, Jesus has the Father's hands. He himself is the creator. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You and I exist for Jesus. That's our ultimate purpose in this life. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I've always been captured by that phrase. Because um, years ago when I attempted to study science, which I was not very good at, you know, I would be, I would, I would just puzzled over the question of what held an atom together. We know that when an atom comes apart, it's the most explosive power in all of the universe that's known to, to humanity, right? And yet, Atoms hold together with opposite charges between the electrons and the neutrons. To me, it's a mystery. I'm sure someone can explain it to me. Um, I'm not that intelligent. But when I look at it, it seems to me like it should come apart. The reason it holds together, whatever the scientific explanations are, God says is Jesus. He's who holds it all together. He has the Father's hands. The baby born at Bethlehem is the creator God coming close to us. He came to speak to us and show us what God is like. He is the exact imprint of the Father. His nature reveals the radiance in its fullness of God's glory and greatness. Can you imagine? Joseph, who would have known the scriptures pretty well, staring into the face of God revealed in the form of an infant. Now, the Bible tells us that from a physical standpoint, there was nothing remarkable about Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 53, 2 says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That means he looked ordinary. He wasn't, you know, somebody that would have, um, you know, been on the social scene. He wasn't necessarily overly attractive And yet, the beauty of God's image shining through had to be incredibly attractive. When we see Jesus later in his ministry, the crowds are drawn to him. People from, you know, religious people, people who are are prostitutes, who are um, outcasts and sinners from cultural society and religious society, they were all drawn to Jesus. Because it is God coming near. He wasn't beautiful in a physical way that necessarily would have drawn us, but a radiance that flowed through his person was magnetic. God came near. As he was held there in the arms of Joseph, Jesus came to show his stepfather, his mother, and all of us, what the Father is like. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus not only has the Father's hands, but what we see here in these opening verses of John chapter one is that Jesus has the Father's voice. He is the word of God. He is God speaking to us in a way that we can listen to and understand. He is God revealing himself in a more intimate and personal way. God has been speaking since the very beginning of time. He spoke the world into existence and he's been revealing himself. The pre-incarnate Christ, that means Jesus before Bethlehem, is called the word because he is the manward side of God or perhaps a better way to put it, he is God revealed to human understanding to the point that we can comprehend and we can desire to know him more. God has always desired for us to know him and to make him known. That's our calling in life. That's why he gave us his word and that's why he gave us his son, Jesus, so that you and I might know him. I I hope you see the emphasis here because the one thing I don't want you to walk away from here today is thinking God is distant. I pray that you'll you'll understand that God has done everything he can to invite you to draw near. The question is, will you? Will you choose to draw near? He's revealed himself. He is speaking through his word and through his son. Thirdly, Jesus not only has the father's hands and the father's voice, he has the father's heart. He is full of grace. In John 1, 14, it's such an amazing, amazing verse where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known, Jesus. And here's what what he's saying in those verses. Is that God had given his law, the commandments, the first five books of, of the Bible through Moses to give us an understanding of his holiness and of his covenant love. But he chose to step even closer to you and to me in Jesus Christ so that we could see more fully who God truly is and the fullness of his grace and his truth. God is holy and God does judge sin. But God in his grace is reaching out to you and I right now. Here's the beautiful message of the gospel God will meet you right where you are. You don't have to clean up your life. In fact, you can't. Apart from God's working in you and through you, you can't become good enough and neither can I. But we don't have to. 
God will meet us right where we are, no matter how broken, no matter how hard you've run away from him, no matter how you've rebelled against him, he will meet you right where you are if you simply call on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. But there is more good news to that. He will not only meet you where you are, he will not leave you there. Yes, you will be changed. Yes, encountering him will bring transformation in your life, but it's a transformation that he works in you. And isn't that what we want more than anything, to become who God created us to be and to fulfill the purpose for which he and his wisdom made you as a unique, beautiful person created in his image? He will meet you. And so this Christmas season, if you don't know Jesus, if you've, if you've just gone to church a few times or if you've been religious or you, you, maybe it's the first time, would you simply be brave enough to say, God, I want to know you. Would you show yourself to me? Jesus, I, I don't know how it all fits, but I'm calling on your name today because that is how we encounter and know God. Here we see in this passage that the law could only give us a limited picture of God, but Jesus has made God fully known. Also, Jesus has the Father's character. He not only has the Father's heart where he loves us and is filled with grace where he's willing to give us that which we do not deserve, he also has the Father's character. He is absolutely full of truth. Here's the reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to represent the Father to us, to give us a more accurate picture of what God is like because in the midst of the religious leaders and practices of the day, his image had gotten distorted. Same thing often is true today. Oftentimes those who claim to speak for God do not rightly reflect what he looks like. And therefore, many are turned away because they're seeing an inaccurate picture of who Jesus is and who God the Father is. The first thing that we see is that God is full of two specific things, grace and truth. To have an accurate view of God, we must um, be present and, and um, must be clearly presented with a view of both of those things, both grace and and truth. That's what Jesus did. He lived grace and truth. He never excused sin, but he always loved us, the sinners. Grace came first, but truth always followed. That is how we are to represent him as well, to go in grace as God has given grace to us. That's why one of our values as a church is to give grace We are to approach others with the same kind of grace that God has given towards us. Furthermore, John wrote to convince all people of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. He goes all the way back to the beginning. And in the first uh, 18 short verses of John chapter 1, John laid out 10 foundational facts regarding Jesus Christ. First of all, he has always existed. In the beginning was the word. He's, he is not created. He is eternal. He is God. Um, 
Jesus has always enjoyed close fellowship, unity with the Father. And the word was with God. That's that, what that phrase means. Thirdly, Jesus possessed all the attributes of God. The word was God. He is full deity who has come in human form. Jesus is also the only source of genuine life and light. In him was light, and the light was the life of humanity. Jesus is the creator of the world. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And those who respond with saving faith become sons of the living God. Because Jesus chose to take on flesh. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus not only came to show us the Father, he came to bring you and I as brothers and sisters to the Father. In full relationship. God doesn't call you to be a servant. He calls you to serve as Jesus did. But he calls you to be a son and a daughter who is beloved by the Father, who is cherished in his heart. He loves you so very much. Jesus manifested the attributes and the glory of the Father even while in physical form, while he wore flesh and dwelt among us. He was full of grace and truth. That's why I love what verse 16 says. For from his fullness we have received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to represent the Father to us in a three-dimensional form, not just words on paper, not just do's and don'ts and rules, but for us to see the fullness of who God is, the breadth and beauty and power and glory of his character and of his heart. No one has ever seen God, verse 18, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus came to fully represent the Father's nature to you and to me and to every other person on earth. And it is beautiful. I imagine when Joseph was looking down at the baby Jesus, Jesus himself looked back into the eyes of Joseph and knew his stepfather for who he really was. He saw his fears. He saw his anxiety, knowing that Joseph would face incredible shame, whispers and ridicule, and yet God chose him. He chose him to raise his son. What incredible privilege and responsibility. And Joseph, though we don't have any of his words recorded in Scripture, must have been an amazing, amazing man because God knew him and chose him. Here's the message for you is that Jesus is looking at you as well today. He knows everything about you. He knows every fear, every anxiety, Every hidden sin, he sees you and he loves you. And he desires for you to have a union with him and with the Father through faith. That's ultimately what Christmas is all about. 
It's not about decorations or presents or songs or anything else that we do at Christmas time. It's about God coming to us so that we can come to God and be united with him through Jesus Christ. He sees you for who you truly are. Yes, he sees your sin and your failure, but he sees so much more. He sees all that he created you to be and all that you will become when you give all that you are over to him. Because here's the beauty, is that Jesus also has the Father's eyes. He looks at you with love. That's why just two chapters over, we see this amazing verse. It's the most familiar verse in all the scripture. For God so loved that he, the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He looks at you with the eyes of the Father who's known you since before the beginning of time, before you were ever conceived. He knows you and desires you to have a faith relationship with him. He's looking at you with love. but you and I must respond. It's not enough for God to love us. He offers us his son as his gift to provide the way to pay the price of all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our rebellion, all our selfishness, but we must respond. What will you do with Jesus? You must recognize that he is loving, but also he is holy. Your sin and my sin must be taken away, and the way that it's taken away is through placing our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Scripture tells us that when we call upon his name and say, Jesus, would you save me, that he takes our sin, nails it to the cross, and it is forgiven completely. And you are free and born again. That's the message of Christmas. But how will you respond? There's one other attribute that Jesus has. He not only has the Father's eyes with which he looks upon you and I, Jesus has the Father's ear. Salvation comes only through the Son. The Father listens to the Son and whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved because Jesus will speak to the Father and say, that one is mine. He or she belongs to me and no accusation of the enemy will stand because Jesus has said they are mine and no one shall ever take them out of my hand. In John, we discover Jesus saying that he and the Father are one. In John 12, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. But then he makes it clear that he's not just a representative. He is the way himself. When he says in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. That was his message, his answer 
when Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father and he is the only way to God. So have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you received Christmas? Because Jesus came to show us the Father, to show you the eternal God in in him who is the exact imprint of the Father. Have you placed your trust in him and surrendered your life to him as Lord? We don't do this very often, but I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads today because maybe you've been to church a thousand times. Maybe it's your first time. But if you've never responded to Jesus, today is a day that you can do that. And I just want to invite you to pray something like what I'm, I'm going to pray. Make the words your own. There's nothing magical about what I'm going to say. God is looking for the intent of your heart. But this will give you a, an idea, at least, to begin. So maybe today you want to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God who came to earth. I believe that you lived a perfect life, one that I cannot live. I believe that you died for me. And the Father has raised you from the dead as evidence of forgiveness and of victory over sin and over death. Lord, today I give myself to you. Would you write me into your story? Would you draw me to your heart? Do in me whatever you want. Because if I'm going to give myself to you, I can't hold back. I'm fearful. I'm uncertain. But today I want to trust you, Jesus. You've promised that if I do that, you will come and live inside of me in the Holy Spirit. And I believe what you say. So come and fill me with your presence this day and empower me to live a life of intimacy and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. in closing, let me just give you a a, a simple application for us who already know Jesus, maybe have had a, a long relationship with him. Jesus came to represent to us an accurate view of the Father. It is your mission and my mission, our only mission, to present an accurate view of Jesus to those around us to accurately reflect Jesus to our spouses, to our children, to our coworkers, to our friends and family members, to strangers that we meet on the street, to the people who travel in, in the trams and metros and buses. It is our calling to rightly represent Jesus in an accurate way to others. Our passion should be the same passion as Jesus. Jesus came to make the Father known. Our call in life should be to know God personally and to make Jesus known. 
You see, because we are the ones who are putting Jesus on display in such a way that others may see through us what Jesus is like so they can then see who God the Father truly is. Now, that is a huge responsibility. And it's one we can't do in our own strength. But because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer, he will do it if we simply choose to obey and say, Lord, make me an accurate representative of Jesus to others. We should have Jesus' heart. We should love others the way he loves. We should serve as Jesus' hands and feet We should speak with Jesus' voice full of both grace and truth. This is why the Bible spends so much time talking about the words that we use because they can be so divisive and cutting. We should hear with Jesus' ears. And we should have his ear. We should live a life of continual prayer to him And we should have his ears listening to the needs and hearts of others. We should have Jesus' eyes. We should ask the Lord to enable us to see others, especially those who irritate us, (laughs) the way he sees them, not the way we see them. Not by the judgment of the culture or tradition, but with the love of the Savior. This is our calling, and this is how we can best express worship to the Lord is to rightly represent Jesus to others. The only way that happens is if we die to self, take up our cross, and follow him. But here's the thing. If you accept that challenge, it is the most joy-filled adventure you can ever imagine. Because you get to see how God is reaching out and touching the lives of people around you in a powerful and beautiful way. And there is nothing that is better than that. We are called to rightly represent Jesus. The heart of Jesus, why he desired to come, was not only to show us the Father, but to bring you and I and all who believe to the Father. Here's a version of the Christmas story from Galatians that I want to close with. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Simply crying out, Daddy. That's the greatest prayer we get to do. One of the beautiful things that I learned so much from my wife and from my children One of the things that I I love doing is I love listening to my son, Micah, pray. Because he almost always prays, Papa. That's how he starts his prayers. And it's an inspiration to me because I want to keep drawing closer and closer to God the Father. As my daddy, as my Papa. Jesus was born, died, and rose from the dead so that we could call God Daddy, Abba, Father. 
Jesus came at Christmas to show us the Father we have all been waiting for, our Heavenly Father. And at Christmas, we see that God is both the giver and the gift. God, the Father, gave God the Son so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of what you have given us that we celebrate as Christmas and yet it is an incredible gift from you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the beauty and the wonder of him becoming flesh, of all the aspects of the Christmas story. But the greatest of them is, Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to give your son to allow him to suffer and to die and to bear our sin so that we can know you. Lord, let us not take that for granted. We pray in Jesus' name.